In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Do you remember as a child or teenager when you had that light bulb go off? Maybe you were the first or the last in your group to finally understand something. Maybe it was algebra. Maybe it was when one of your classmates leaned over and said, do you know who Santa Claus really is? Anybody remember that? Or, or maybe it was on the bus ride home when somebody said, all right, do you, but you know what that song really means? This is what my older brother told me. Who shot J.R.? One of those kind of deep life mysteries. Or maybe J.R. thing was just my generation. But think of that, that something that you first realized that you knew something as an adult. That first time you grasped something that your friends didn't. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. Now, God, Isaiah is speaking to God's people that are largely in exile. They're scattered. And he brings them word that God is going to raise someone up to deliver them. And that person is Isaiah speaking for, we call him the servant. There are four different passages in Isaiah where the servant speaks. The first time back in chapter 42, he says that God's raising him up to bring the people true justice. He's going to come and bring true justice to the world. And here we end up in a situation where the servant is someone that won't be recognized by his earthly circumstances. The Bible's full of these stories where God raises up someone who's unlikely, right? We have Rahab. We have Ruth. We have David. We have Esther to further his people, to protect his people, to continue God's plan. But God says he's going to raise up someone else unlikely, someone who's going to wrestle with God, someone who says, I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my cause is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. Someone who at the end will do whatever God is asking him to do. He says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations, and my salvation will reach to the end of the earth. God's going to use someone he knows, that he has known well, someone who puts their whole trust in him. He's going to make sure that his salvation is not going to be limited to those who are already his people. God's sending his servant to be the light that's going to shine around the world, bringing salvation to all who believe. And here we may have one of David's descendants of view, a man born to parents who were only engaged when he was born in Bethlehem. Not the resume you would have predicted for the Savior. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the slave of rulers. We have some parallels going on here, right? God gets these lofty titles, the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, the Redeemer of his Holy One. Those are good. What does his servant get? He's going to be deeply despised. He's going to be abhorred by the nation. He'll be the slave of the rulers. God's high, his servant is low. But one day, Isaiah writes, they're going to understand. An epiphany is going to come. Now, an epiphany is an illuminating discovery, realization, a disclosure. We're in the season of epiphany. One day, he says, those that despise a poor and would make a slave of him will see and stand up. The princes will prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, because the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. That's a reversal. What a change. That's an epiphany. David writes, 
I waited patiently upon the Lord. He stooped to me and he heard my cry. David here is recalling his times. He cries out and the Lord would stoop. What do you think of when you think of somebody stooping to hear? A parent, a grandparent with a child. They're stooping over so they can listen better. Because let's get on, be honest, as we get a little bit older, it's a little bit harder to hear. And he's stooping down, God is. David talks about how God lifted him up out of the mud, how God preserved and protected him, and how that wants, makes him want to burst out in a new song. David says, In sacrifice and offering you take no pleasure. You've given me ears to hear you. Burn offering and sin offerings you've not required. And so I said, Behold, I come. To obey is better than sacrifice, is something the prophet Samuel told Saul the king, David's predecessor. Saul didn't listen to that. Saul went ahead and just did his own thing anyway. David, though, takes this disclosure mostly to heart. David writes, I proclaimed righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I did not restrain my lips, and that, O Lord, you know. Your righteousness I have hidden in my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and deliverance. I have not concealed your love and faithfulness from the congregation. You are the Lord. Do not withhold your compassion from me. Let your love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. But David, when he makes a mistake, knows who he could go to and ask for forgiveness. He's confident that God's going to protect him forevermore. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Paul here is beginning his letter to the Corinthians. Now Paul has spent more than a year and a half preaching and teaching and living among them. And he greets them with a blessing, right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. It's a good thing to bless people with. And then Paul talks to them about how he's always thanking God for them. And then he tells them this, For in every way you've been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, so that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Corinthians they've been excellently equipped. He says you've got all the spiritual gifts. You've got speech and you've got knowledge. But Paul here is buttering them up a little bit. He's giving them a little bit of a, a hint and a clue as to what's coming in his letter. Because the Corinthians have problems. They're using their spiritual gifts not to unite the church and not to bring others into God's families. They're using them instead to divide themselves into factions. And they're using their gifts to say, hey, my gift's better than your gift. I hear from God more than you, so follow me. They want to build themselves up to claim superiority, to grab power in the church. One of our most beloved passages in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians 13. One we love to read at, read at weddings, right? Love is patient, love is kind, no thought of envy, pure love is blind, right? But at the start of that chapter it says this, If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all away, if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. That chapter starts as a warning against using the gifts of God without love. If we don't have love, we have nothing, Paul says, even if we seem successful. You can be the best preacher. You can understand beyond what most of us see. Anything, everything. But without love, success in the church isn't really success. That's what Paul is trying to illuminate to the Corinthians. 
He will strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we can thank God that like Paul, like David, like Isaiah knows, God is faithful. The next day he, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and declares, Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might reveal to Israel. In John's Gospel, the previous passage, John's telling everyone who listened, Listen, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not a great prophet of old. I'm just simply the one that God sent here to light the way for Messiah. And after this, when he sees Jesus coming, he starts telling his followers who weren't there, this is the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. Now, I think that bit about not knowing Jesus, they're cousins. They're acquainted, right? Who does Mary go and see once she's pregnant? Her cousin Elizabeth. Who's Elizabeth pregnant with? John the Baptist. I don't think he's saying, I didn't know who my cousin was in a literal sense. I think what he's saying here is he didn't fully understand what was going on until he baptized him. That his job was to reveal what was to come. He even says here, I didn't really understand it. But what made him realize his little cousin was, was the Messiah was this. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And what happens? John keeps telling people. The next day, two of his disciples, John's disciples, watch as Jesus walks by, and he says, look, that's the Lamb of God. And after having that revelation, all he can do, John can do, is keep sending people to Jesus. He says elsewhere, I must decrease so he can increase. And here he's telling his own followers, it's not me, follow that guy. Follow my cousin Jesus. And the result is, what happened? Those two disciples followed him. And they followed him home. A little creepy. I don't recommend that. But when Jesus saw them, he said, come and see. And they followed him. And they went with him. And what happens from there? One of them is so excited. Andrew, he finds his brother Simon and says, okay, I found the Messiah. Come back with me. And Andrew, he's got the same revelation John the Baptist has. And he brings Simon to Jesus. And Jesus meets Simon and gives him a new name, right? Simon goes from being Simon, son of John, to Simon Peter. And eventually, they'll work together to turn the world upside down. As Christians, we bring others to Christ. It's not a matter of prepared speeches. It's not a matter of deeply philosophical or apologetical defenses. All we need to do is lead people where Jesus is, where God's people are. And once they meet him, and hopefully, once they've experienced God love, God's love from his people, once they see who he is and what his grace does, they'll have that same realization, that same epiphany that John had, that Andrew had, that Simon Peter had, that, look, I found the Messiah. Amen.